0: Hey there, podcaster. It's Charlie here from the business of podcasting. And in today's episode, I am joined by Steph Taylor of the Social App podcast and stephtaylor.co. Now this episode is goes in many, many directions, and there's so many valuable points that I think can really help a lot of podcasters with growing their show effectively. So here's some things that I think are really important that you're going to get out of this episode. Number one is being the sponsor of your own show to get maximum ROI. So very often, a lot of podcasters are consumed on the idea that they're going to get brands to sponsor their show, and then that's how they're actually going to monetize their podcast. And Steph really has demonstrated, and something I really believe in is that being the sponsor of your own show and selling services and products from your own business is going to be far more effective to really get the result that I think is deemable or gettable from podcasting itself. We also dig into shorter versus longer episodes. We also dig into getting large names on your podcast itself. And then there's one thing towards the end, which I think Steph has nailed and I haven't seen anyone else do well is when we start talking about using Pinterest to actually grow our podcast. And I think Pinterest is a very viable strategy for growing your podcast. So we're going to head into the episode, but before I do, please make sure you subscribe to the show. Like we very much value our listeners and want to help fellow podcasters achieve more success with podcasting, but also head over to valamedia.com/slash resources and make sure you pick up a copy of our intro framework. Now that intro framework is how you sponsor your own show. So if you want to get better at constructing an introduction for your podcast that will help you really enlighten people with what's to come in the episode, but also show them how and where to do more with you in the ways of business, then that's the place you need to be. So let's head into this episode. I think there's a lot of valuable nuggets here and so many things on my list here as well that I didn't even include, which are worth really uh, diving into from here. So let's head into the episode. Hope you enjoy it. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Steph Taylor. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Now, thank you so much for coming on the show. Angela Henderson, a common friend we have, basically came on my podcast and just raved and said that you are a person that must come on and share more about what you're doing with podcasting. And um, it was quite, how can I put this? She was quite insistent. Um <laughs> which has me um, very excited for what we're going to go through today. And um, I've had a good dig through your show before this, before I bring every guest on the show who has a podcast. I always like to have a look at their podcast and see what they're getting up to. And, Your show ticks a lot of boxes for me. It's a lot of the uh, things I really stand for and a lot of the ways I run my own show. So I think digging into this, it'll be really, really interesting to see how you've come to the conclusions of how you go about things from there. But for context, can you please, you know, we want to wrap our audience around what you do in your uh, podcast itself. So can you tell us a little bit about your business and a little bit about your podcast, Socialette?
1: Yeah, sure. So my business, I run it under my own personal brand, Steph Taylor, And that is where I help entrepreneurs bring their ideas to life through high-impact launches. And then, of course, that's supported by my podcast, Socialette, which started out as a bite-sized online marketing podcast. And lately, I've pivoted it more towards being a bite-sized marketing and launching podcast. So, I mean, launching is part of marketing, but a lot of people don't see where the two connect. So, it's now a focus on both of those.
0: Yeah, really bridging that gap there. Now, I wanted to ask, why did you start a podcast and has having a podcast lived up to what you hoped you would get out of it?
1: Yeah, so that's it's an interesting story, actually, because I never thought I would start a podcast. And then a couple of years ago, so back in 2016, when I just started my first business and I ran out of money and I went to go and work for a startup, I found myself sitting across the desk at our co-working space from a podcaster called Ronsley Vaz. I don't know if you've heard of him. The Brisbane podcasting community is quite small. And I'd never really thought about creating a podcast. I occasionally listened to them, but I thought, I don't have the voice for podcasting. Like I'll stick with blogging. And somehow, over the course of our friendship, he managed to twist my mind and convince me to create a podcast. And I thought, you know what? Maybe this isn't such a bad idea. So I was basically at that stage when I launched my podcast, I was running a almost a marketing agency. I had a small team, but it wasn't a full agency or anything. And it's a very competitive space. There are so many people who will do social media marketing for very cheap prices. So you end up having to just compete by being the cheapest there. And I didn't want to be the cheapest anymore. So I thought, I need to do something that's going to build my authority make me the go-to in the space because running facebook ads and just marketing my business on social media this isn't working anymore i need something that nobody else is doing and starting a podcast was the solution to that and it's definitely lived up to the hype um like oh within the first probably six months of launching it i was getting inquiries from people who weren't just asking about the price so, prior to launching a podcast, I would get inquiries that were like, oh, can you please send through a quote? After launching a podcast, it became, oh, I really want to work with you. I don't care how much it costs.
0: Oh, I, lo- I love that point there. It's so interesting. And I think you've just kind of referenced something because I actually come from the same world. So, my mm-hmm. one of my first businesses, I had a Facebook ads and Google ads agency. We used to do a lot of ads. Um, and I noticed in the early days, like, because no one was doing it, you could really well in it but as it became competitive it became commoditized and a lot of it became very price driven and it wasn't like that in the beginning and i think one of the huge shifts we've seen which is where you've gone from here is that people are now using mediums like podcasting to help articulate why their approach their system their methodology or the way they go about what they do makes them the right fit for working with a certain audience and it sounded like that's the effect it had on you as well
1: yeah, exactly. And then like, as a side effect of launching my podcast, I actually discovered there's this whole other audience of business owners out there who couldn't afford to work with me but wanted to somehow access my knowledge and some to learn from me in some other way that was beyond the podcast. And that's where my business began to turn into more of a digital product-based business than a done-for-you client-based business. It was just that natural progression. Oh, there's this whole audience of small business owners that I want to help, but I can't, they can't afford to work with me one on one, but I can create digital products and help them on a larger scale. And that all happened because of the podcast.
0: Wow, amazing! So you've you've shifted from service to product as well. So it's been one yeah. of these things where you've been able to, I suppose, become more leveraged because of the influence podcasting has had. So that's a great share. I, I mean, I think that's a common story for many people, not just in marketing, but I think a lot of experts have had that effect come from their podcast itself.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. It's com- I I'd be lying if I said my podcast hadn't changed my business completely. I I, I want to like I wonder where I would be today if I hadn't launched a podcast, probably still competing on pricing. (laughs)
0: Uh, I I know where I would be. I would literally be spending uh, hours and hours and hours trying to write a blog still that wasn't right, only to come back and hate it and re-scrap it. I feel like for me, like one of the things I looked at, podcasting was just so much easier than writing. Um, Writing blogs, uh, for me, this is just a personal thing here, but it's like I just found the work involved is Far exponential past what people may think of because it's just words on the page. We're we're recording here and got so much more equipment, so it it changed my life as well. You're preaching to the converted here.
1: (laughs) That's so funny that you mentioned the blog thing because yeah, I used to I used to share a blog maybe once a fortnight before I launched my podcast, and it would take easily six hours by the time I'd written it, edited it, uploaded it, put graphics in it, everything, and then launching a podcast. It's a five minute podcast is almost a thousand words. And that's, that's an entire blog post.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is even another thing to consider is that, you know, I'll send this podcast to my writer and she'll turn it into a blog post. So we still get that blog post.
1: Ah, oh, that's great. <laughs> so you have a writer, nice writer little... who does it for you. <laughs> I, use, um, I use Simon Says.
0: Oh, AI another awesome one.
1: Converter, yeah.
0: Now, your show, you do some things which I think are quite fascinating, and what I would love to do is talk about some of the things you've put in place, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on, like, why you did that, and maybe to the results they're producing as well, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Okay, so the f- the first one that stood out to me when I was looking through your show this morning is that you actually release three episodes a week. Now, in what I observed, there's two that tend to be shorter solo episodes that are hosted by you and then there's often in more recent times a guest episode where you'll cover a topic as well. Now why did you elect to do three a week and why have you elected to do both short solo and guest episodes?
1: Yeah so when I first started out I thought it was all going to be just solo episodes And I thought, you know, three a week, five to 10 minutes each, that's a manageable amount. And I'm in my audience's ears enough to start building that connection with them so that they feel like they know me because they're hearing from me every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then along the way, I started to realize, actually, there's so many topics they need to learn about, but that I'm not qualified to teach them in or I don't know enough about it to teach them in that. And that's where I started bringing in guest experts or interview guests. On the show as well. And in recent times, they've become, I've, I've shared a few more interviews simply because I went through a phase where I just watched so many interviews and I was really just enjoying doing interviews for a while. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to share a few more interviews. It takes a lot of content creation pressure off me and it, it saves me from having to come up with ideas all of the time because that has hands down been the hardest part in coming up with ideas for three episodes a week.
0: Yeah, well, it's quite a volume to get through. I mean, you just touched on something else there as well. How do you prepare for a solo episode or what topic you're going to talk about? Do you use frameworks or anything like that? Or is this just, hey, this is what I'm interested in at the moment. I'm going to talk about this for 10 minutes.
1: Yeah, so there is a loose strategy behind it. But as I've been pivoting what I've been talking about from general marketing and social media marketing towards more launching... There has been a lot more of what's going on behind the scenes, um, a lot of mindset stuff because I feel like it's relevant to everyone running a business, right? And I feel like knowing the behind the scenes of what's going on in my business helps them to realize that, hey, I'm not the only one who's struggling with this. So there has... It generally is more of a strategy than there is at the moment and... (laughs) <laughs> I should I should be better at planning them out in advance. I've never been one of those people who can plan my episode for the next quarter or the next year in advance. Because I always end up changing my mind. But so in terms of preparing for each episode, I loosely script it. I don't follow an exact script anymore. When I first launched, I definitely did. I wasn't as confident in front of the microphone. I wasn't as confident speaking. Now I mainly just bullet point the things I want to cover. If there are exact sentences I want to include, then I do add those in there as well. But it's very loose preparation. It maybe only takes 20
0: minutes. It's really interesting. I I mean, I've come to realise there's probably two kinds of people when it comes to uh, making content. Um, And I used to co-host a show with a good friend of mine, Kim Barrett. And um, what I found is I'm the type of person where it's like I need those structure and bullet points. Like I will happily spend... 30 minutes to organize and structure a solo episode that goes for 10 minutes. And that works for me. And I think that's probably a little bit of the camp you sit in based on this. But then (laughs) Kim by absolute fascination would never even put a word down on paper. He was just one of these people that used to just be able to go like off the cuff on anything and make sensational content. It used to blow my mind because I was like, isn't that stressful? Aren't you? And he's like, no, it's just how i roll it's how i do it so certainly finding that people can sit in both camps now when it comes to your content itself have you seen that the shorter episodes or interviews are performing better from maybe a download or inquiry position or is it just kind of leaning in
1: so the downloads on the interview ones tend to get more but that probably is as a result of them sharing it with their audience And that actually, sorry, that just reminded me that's another reason why I chose to add interview episodes in because, I mean, with my audience and just sharing my solo episodes, there's only a limited amount of people I can reach, really. So, getting the guests on and encouraging them to share it as well, that's been another growth tactic.
0: That's Mm. another reason
1: why I introduced interviews.
0: It's quite interesting there that that's something I've found to be true as well. Like, we can end up kind of fishing in our own pond without being able to expand in the solo scenario, but guests can be a great way for us to get access to another point. Now, you've had some big names on your podcast as well, like Amy Porterfield I saw was on there, which is a huge one from there. Did you find having Amy on the show and that branding or her name, so to speak, really gave you a bit of an explosion or a kick in your downloads?
1: Well, so obviously she doesn't share most of the podcasts that she's been featured in, um, only – I think there are times when she will share it, but because I was an affiliate for her launch, she couldn't share it because if she'd shared it, then somebody on her list had opted in and joined her or downloaded her um, lead magnet from the episode that I did with her and then they'd purchase her course, I would get an affiliate kickback even though they were already on her audience, if that makes sense. So she didn't actually share the episode, But having her on the podcast, that's a big credibility thing because now when I'm pitching for other guests, I can say, well, I've actually had Amy Porterfield on the podcast.
0: Yeah, awesome. So, has that actually made it easier to bring other big names onto your show?
1: I haven't actually pitched anyone since then. I had so many interviews (laughs) in the backlog, (laughs) but I will be definitely doing that next year, early next year. So, I will keep you in the loop on that.
0: Well, it's a really interesting one because um, even in the launch of this show, I intentionally went after three big names early or three people that would mm. be recognized by the podcaster audience. And I've just found since doing that, it has been a walk in the park to approach other names like it really has. Like once I'd had a few people on to get people like Molly Pittman to come on and do an interview was so much easier than it would have been without these other people because she knew the people that had already been on the show. So I think it really it does hold weight to definitely work on... It's worth the effort, I should say, to get some bigger names on a show because of the access it could provide. So I'm with you on that one. And I'm not surprised to hear that um, downloads on interviews do get that extra reach just based on the factors we've discussed so far. So another thing I wanted to get into with your show is you do something I'm a really big believer in, and that's recording a separate intro after the podcast. Um, And the reason I do that is because I know what's in the show. It's much easier to make a great intro from there. But how did you start doing that? Or how did you come to that conclusion? Because I don't see as many people doing it like we do here. And then you're even uh, a little bit clever in the idea that you'll also sponsor your own show, letting people know maybe there's an opt-in, maybe there's a program, which I thought was unique as well. So how did that come to be?
1: So how did I get to doing the intro separately? I guess... When I first started doing interviews, I wasn't 100% sure what we'd cover. I wasn't really comfortable introing the guest in front of the guest. And I thought, for me, I thought, well, if I can just do the intro separately, then yeah, you're right. I can touch off on the things that we've covered in that episode. And I can avoid the awkwardness of having to intro the guest while they're sitting there.
0: Oh, my Um, God. It's so awkward. I've done exactly. it a few times. It is, re- and if you, um, of course, often they'll provide intro information, but I can, it's like they're watching you and making sure you're getting it for, it could be very nerve wracking to not nail it in front of them.
1: Yeah. So that was, that was the main reason. Unfortunately, there was no fancy strategy or anything behind that. It was simply just fear of, yeah, getting it wrong or fear of, you know, stuffing up while I was introing them. So that's why I do it separately. And, sorry, what was your other question?
0: Sponsoring your own show there. You've included oh. uh, what's coming up or a download or a program or something you may be launching in your intro as well, which I thought was clever. We do the same. So, I thought it was something that was done well, but um, I'm wondering how you elected to place things in the intro um, instead of what most people do, which is just the outro. Yeah.
1: So, if you look at Podcast Connect, Apple Podcast connect and you can see the minute by minute percentage of people watching. It does die out a little bit by the end. So that's why I thought I need to put it at the start while people are still engaged, while they're listening. At the end of the episode, they've lost interest. They're probably multitasking by then. So I want them, I want to get them while they're fresh into that episode. And then I do remind them at the end as well, but I want them like when most people are still listening.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That was the conclusion I came to, is you've got maximum attention at the start, and I think a great opportunity to bring awareness there. So, well handled. Now, I wanted to ask you, because you've grown quite a substantial show, how have you, I suppose, approached podcast growth and bringing listeners to your show?
1: Yeah. So I actually did do this with a strategy, believe it or not. (laughs) So when I launched my podcast, I knew that I really wanted to get it in the top charts in that first week because I knew that would be A, that would be good credibility and B, that would be a great way to be discovered by other listeners. So fortunately, I did have a bit of an audience. I did have a bit of an email list so I knew, okay, I need to hype this up. I need to make sure that everyone subscribed in that first day. And if not day one, then on day two. And I started teasing the podcast before I launched it. I started telling them, okay, this is what's coming. What, like Stay tuned. And then I started getting into Facebook groups. And I started telling people, okay, I'm launching this bite-sized marketing podcast. What, what questions do you have about online marketing, digital marketing, social media marketing, post them in the comments below. So because everyone was commenting on this post in the Facebook group, it bumped it right up and it got a few hundred comments. So then not only did I have content ideas for a long time, I actually also had basically an audience right there, a bunch of people who were excited for this podcast. Right there in this Facebook group. And when I launched the podcast, I went back and I replied to every single comment saying, either I've covered your topic. Here's a link to the episode, or the podcast is live. I will be covering your topic in a week, in a month, whatever it was. So they actually had some buy-in, they had a reason to tune in and listen to the podcast. And then I asked them to subscribe. So made it into the top charts, made it to number one in the business charts in launch week, which I was very happy about. That's not. a really
0: clever strategy. I actually have not heard someone using Facebook groups like that before. And what I love about it is the ability to get real market feedback. So as long as that Facebook group was a relevant Facebook group with your audience, um, what a powerful way to get content ideas and then also a hyperly engaged early audience. So I think that's a sensational way to approach it. And I I would even say that if someone has an existing podcast, there will be nothing stopping them to do that now to maybe relaunch or bring some fuel of re-excitement to their podcast as well as a whole bunch of new content ideas.
1: Definitely. And the other thing that I do in Facebook groups and this is obviously this is more relevant to me because there are so many business owner Facebook groups and so many entrepreneur Facebook groups. uh, what I'll do is if I've just released an episode on a particular topic, I will often go into a Facebook group and search for that topic, search for that keyword. And if somebody has asked a question around that, then I'll say, hey, I just answered this in this episode. And it's a great way to get around the self-promotion rules in a lot of these Facebook groups. So now that I've got 200 and something episodes in the bank, I can jump into most of the the business and marketing Facebook groups and answer a lot of these questions with past episodes. And it's such a great way to keep growing that
0: audience. How often do you do that?
1: I should be doing it once a week, but it's one of those tasks that gets bumped when, when the to-do list gets a little bit full.
0: Well I could even think there would be a way to expand that as well, like I think that's a sensational idea, I haven't actually heard that before, but you could almost apply the same thing to possibly Reddit, um, Quora, I don't know if LinkedIn groups has the search feature yet, but I would think there's a, depending on where your podcast is suited, so yours sounds like Facebook is the place, but for other shows on that maybe more a 2 b or maybe something suited to the Reddit market, like this is a repeatable strategy that could be done elsewhere.
1: Yeah, definitely. I've tried Quora, but haven't had the same success that I have with Facebook groups. So I think Facebook, Facebook groups, because when somebody asks a question, a lot of people will have the same question. They'll hit the, they'll type, you know, follow, or they'll hit the turn notifications on button. And then not only do you get one listener from the person who's asked the questions, but you also get everyone else who's following it as well.
0: Now, I wanted to bring in another point here. You would have to be the only person I have seen that I would say is successfully promoting their podcast on Pinterest. Um, I noticed Pinterest is something that I personally haven't had much to do with. I suppose the first thing I'll ask is, you know, my observation is it looks effective. Has Pinterest been effective for growing your podcast or bringing new listeners to your podcast? And then two is how have you actually gone about that?
1: Yeah, so... In terms of growing website traffic, it's definitely been huge because so rather than promoting links directly to the podcast, I actually send them to the blog post version on my website. And then from that, there is a link to go and listen to the podcast after that. But it, it's definitely been a great source of traffic to my website. I don't, I don't actually know the tracking from Pinterest through to listening to the podcast. I can tell you who's come from my website to the podcast or how many people have come from my website to the podcast, but I can't tell you how many from Pinterest through my website to the podcast. If that makes sense.
0: Well, well, let's read this out here because I've got to give this some context. As I said, I always check out the shows before they come in here. And I saw that Pinterest was in the social links. And I'm like, not many people have that in my world. And I, I click on here and I can see you're getting 214,000 monthly unique views on Pinterest, which I think is sensational. So looking at the next step from that, how much of that is translating into, let's say, website traffic then?
1: Not, unfortunately, not the whole 214,000. That would be nice. I think it's currently around probably about 5,000 website hits a month, I'd say, from Pinterest.
0: That's still a fantastic amount of traffic to come from Pinterest.
1: It's fantastic. And it's one of those things that you don't have to put much effort into, and it just snowballs. So, it might be 5,000 this month. It's unlikely it'll drop next month it'll keep increasing so it's pretty it's pretty great source of traffic and free nobody uses or not enough people use it
0: that that would be me (laughs) (laughs) so when it comes to the actual of what you're doing on Pinterest then how would you describe your approach then is it like I can see you're putting up I believe what are called pins or boards but Mm -hmm. um can you share more on that
1: yeah, my approach is very relaxed, um, <laughs> as is my approach to basically everything in my business. But basically what it is is so when I put up the blog post for that particular podcast episode, I will just create quickly create a pin graphic, which I have a template set up. It takes me about 30 seconds to create a graphic, add it onto the blog post, and then there's an app called Tailwind. So, what you do is you can add things into your queue in Tailwind, and you can actually add them to a thing called a smart loop. So, a smart loop will loop through all of the pins that you've uploaded forever. So, you don't have to constantly be pinning things to Pinterest. You just add them into Tailwind once, and that's that sorted. What you do have to do, though, is be mindful of the keywords that you're using because Pinterest, like Google, is a search engine. So, people will type how to start a podcast into Pinterest. And pins that are optimized for that keyword, how to start a podcast, will show up higher than ones that just say, start a podcast or podcast. So it's really about figuring out what people are going to search for to find your pins. And I think this is one of the really good things about Pinterest is you don't have to have a big following. You just have to have very well-optimized pins. So very well optimized for that keyword. But it doesn't matter if you have 10 followers or 10,000 followers because you still have that potential for traffic.
0: Awesome. So we'll make sure to include a link to Tailwind. I actually haven't heard of that one from there. Now, would you say that Pinterest is more suited for certain niched shows or certain topics and less for others? Is there any markets we would say, hey, Pinterest is great for? Like, for instance, fitness and Instagram, they just (laughs) go together. Fitness and LinkedIn, maybe not. So, is there any kind of segments you think are more suited?
1: Yeah. Well, okay. So, the demographic that uses Pinterest is changing a lot. It used to be quite strongly skewed female, but now it's actually becoming – there are a lot more males who are using it. So, I think with that, it's going to change a lot. But I know in the past and certainly now, it's been very strong on things like beauty, design, fashion, all those visuals. Kinds of topics, right? So nutrition's another one because there are a lot of recipes. A lot of people go on there and they'll search paleo recipes, keto recipes. So if you had a podcast that was in the paleo space, then that would be a great place to be. Definitely home improvement, any of those visual things. But business isn't a visual topic and it's still very popular on there. So just because you're not in a sort of a sexy niche, a glamorous niche, doesn't mean that
0: Pinterest isn't suitable. It's really interesting. And I just want to loop back to the keywords idea. Um, I'm assuming maybe there is a tool to help you select keywords, but is perhaps using similar keywords you would use from Google a good starting place for someone? Or how can someone select keywords with reasonable accuracy?
1: Yeah. So, I don't think you need to spend hours on it. I think it's more just thinking, Okay, so who do I want to attract onto my website through Pinterest and what would they be searching for to find this piece
0: of content? So keeping it simple here, that's what I, I really like that approach. I think often marketers can complicate things or um, really overdo things when it may not be needed, but I, I appreciate the honesty and the idea of like just how Effectively, like it doesn't take a degree to be able to execute this Pinterest strategy. Like, this is something a lot of people could do themselves if they wanted.
1: Exactly. And it is something I've been doing myself. I'm just, I'm only just getting to the point now where I think, oh, maybe I need to outsource Pinterest because I know if a professional were doing it, I'd be able to grow it a lot quicker. They'd be dedicating that time to it. Whereas I've just been, you know, scheduling, just uploading the pins once and I don't deal with it again. But I think if getting somebody else in there to actually dedicate time to writing new descriptions for old keywords, you know, for old pins and really doing that keyword research, then I think maybe they would be able to grow it faster. But given my limited time, my limited resources, what I've been doing has been working.
0: Well, I must confess here, when I did have a look through your show and I saw this, the first thing I did was send it to someone on my team. I'm like, have you seen this? Like, we haven't seen this before. Now, I actually have someone on my team who's been banging on about we need to do Pinterest for the last three months. And I have been ignoring it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've just been fobbing it off. Um, so, we're actually going to have a go at this. I think what you've created is really, um, really well put together. So, we might even come back and visit that topic. or let you know how we go because uh, my social person is really into the, this Pinterest uh, thing and thinks it will be a huge area of growth for many people. So, I think you've you've started something here. So, we'll loop back to that one. I I wanted to ask now on the other side of things, has there been anything you've tried um, with your podcast with growth or maybe something else that didn't work?
1: That's a great question. Nothing springs to mind immediately. Oh, that's a really good question. I have – okay, actually, no, I do think of something. Facebook ads – have worked and they haven't worked at times. So there have been ones that have been just massive failures. And by, by like by and large, most of the Facebook ads that I've run directly to my podcast have been massive failures. <laughs> um, the ones that have worked, though, have been ones where it's been more of a video style. So I'm sure you're familiar with Headliner and the audiograms that they create. So those ones do tend to work better. But... By and large, most of the Facebook ads that I've run to my podcast have not been fantastic periods of growth.
0: How interesting. So, as you know, this show is video and we can wave to everyone now. Just give them a little wave. Hey, video (laughs) fans. Um, And I often get asked, why are you doing video? Like, this is a podcast. Um, And it's because I found the exact same thing. If we ran Facebook ads to uh, audiogram or direct to an audio type setup, terrible results. Was actually one of the biggest wastes of money i think i've ever done in podcasts was facebook ads to audiograms from there however using video like we actually create proper show snippets and we actually put our video onto facebook itself since we've been using video elements and making them more engaging it's been one of our best performers so i think there's absolutely something in the idea if you're doing an audio only show You've got to be really careful how you're running ads um, because unless it's for a big name or you've got some sort of promotion twist that is really, really essential, it's going to be difficult. And much like you've said from there, I think you're better off doing other things. However, for the video shows, it is killing it for us at the moment. So, it's interesting to see mm. that you've kind of hinted to the same thing.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. So, I'm gonna. Oh, that's, that's changed my mind. I'm going to just start recording them with my webcam on my computer because- it's one extra step in the recording process and you've got two completely different pieces of content chuck it on youtube as well
0: <laughs> as as we do it's been a really yeah. good leverage way so um the video element from my perspective is great for discovery and marketing. Audio is definitely still the base though. Once people get into the show and subscribe via your audience, that's where our true fans tend to hang out more and more. The, the only downside I kind of see is like when I used to do an audio only podcast, I used to be able to take notes and not, well, not look at you, no offense. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so I used to be able to look at other things and quite easily keep notes or if you said something that I wanted to come back to, it was quite easy to come back to it. Where when you do video, there is that extra element we do have some lights in here and a few other things like that. Mm. But overall, the extra effort versus the return we get, absolutely worth it. I couldn't endorse video podcasting more, even if it was just for the marketing.
1: That's great. That's so interesting to hear. Yeah. I can, I mean, so I have been uploading podcast episodes to YouTube, but audio only with old headliner animation. and. Yeah, they don't perform anywhere near as well as video content. Proper video content with a person's face on it works.
0: Yeah, you're probably getting. We looked at it. It's probably about eight to ten x comparison. Yeah, what you interesting. Get from there. So very, very interesting, but fascinating. This is why I love talking to other podcasters because it it often ends up just us sharing stories and collecting <laughs> what has and hasn't worked. Which is why I always ask that question. But I want to loop around to something else here because one of the things Angela said I really have to talk to you about is launching. She said this has been something where you really hold a specialty, is understanding how to launch podcasts, understanding how to launch products. So I was wondering if we could spend some time on this episode, I suppose, just downloading some things from your brain and understanding of how you're thinking about launching. And then, particularly if someone has a, if they're thinking about launching a podcast, or maybe they've got a podcast that is a bit stale and they're going to relaunch it. How would you approach that?
1: Yeah, okay. So, I guess the first step is figuring out or pinpointing exactly who your potential listener is. So, getting really honed in on who you serve, and it's so tempting to say, "Well, my podcast is for everyone." But that's not really going to help you along the line because you're going to not you're going to struggle to resonate with everyone. You're never going to be everyone's cup of tea. So figure out who you're trying to target and then know what other podcasts they listen to. So get out there and talk to them. Say, hey, what other podcasts do you listen to? What do you like about them? What don't you like about them? What do you feel that existing podcasts are missing? So from that, you can figure out, okay... This is what nobody else is doing. So I'm going to go in this direction, and this is how I can stand out. Because I think that's the biggest thing when you're launching a podcast, especially these days when there's like you know, 700,000 podcasts or something like that. How, actually, how are you going to stand uh, out? Heaps more than
0: that. Heaps more than that now. It's really crazy. There is so many I, more podcasts than that. It's not funny. I was looking at some stats more recently, but it's like, it's crazy how many shows. I think Apple said that at one point there was 750,000 podcasts just in the US. Um, just in the
1: US. Oh, that's maybe US. where I got that stat from then.
0: But I want to come back to that. You just put a point out there that I'd love to go a little bit deeper on there. If someone has a show, how can they discern if they're too niche or not niche enough? Like how do we find that sweet spot?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I, see, I don't believe in being too niched. I think if you've got a niche and it's very narrow, as long as there are people in there who are willing to you know, either sponsor your show or pay you money to work with you, then I don't believe that you can be too niched. And of course, the advantages of being in a very narrow niche is you can actually charge advertisers more because it's usually a lot harder for them to access such a niche audience.
0: By the way, I'm going to hit up road after this podcast because we've got two of their microphones in this <laughs> video. <laughs> Try and get some product placement. No, I joke. But actually, that's a really interesting perspective you have there about the idea of the more narrow you go, the more valuable it could actually be in ways of the captive audience there. So that's that's a really insightful thing. But do continue because I think you've identified it's not just the market. It's like, how can you be different here? so it's not just going after for example with my show podcasters it's like how do we go after this in a unique way because there's tons of podcasts that are on podcasts
1: exactly exactly and it's also figuring out about figuring out what makes you unique as a podcast host so for me okay my audience wanted or they felt like nobody was really doing quick actionable episodes. If they wanted to get a few tips on Facebook ads, they would have to listen to an hour-long episode and they'd maybe get 2 or 3 things out of it. So that I realized, okay, that was where I could stand out. And then I thought, okay, so what's unique about my approach? And I take a pretty no-fluff, straight-to-the-point kind of approach. So that combined with these short episodes meant that they could get they could listen to a five-minute episode and actually leave with actions to take. So, that's how I managed to get my podcast to stand out. So, it's, a, it's basically it's a fusion of what the market needs and what, you, what makes you special, what makes you different.
0: Sensational. I, I really like that. I think not enough time is spent on those two points when people talk about concept design for their show. So, um, you're preaching to the choir here. I think that's <laughs> absolutely key points here.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, too many people don't really think about those things. They just think, oh, I'm just going to launch a podcast. What's everyone else in my space doing? That's obviously the best thing to do. Oh, everyone else is doing 45-minute long interview episodes. I'd better launch one as well. And then they wonder why nobody's tuning in. It's because they've got the same length episodes, the same style, probably the same guests as everyone else. So of course, nobody's going to tune in. There's no special reason why they should be listening
0: to you. Yeah, it's got to have some of that secret sauce, that uniqueness, mm. and that's, um. I often think about it as brand voice, but again, this is the reason my first show failed, in all honesty. I basically did what you just said, don't do, went way too wide and copied what everyone else was doing in ways of formats and interviews, and it was a disaster zone, an absolute disaster zone.
1: But you've learned from that, right?
0: Hopefully. I guess Ah. we'll see. (laughs) No, definitely, definitely, definitely. So I, again, like very focused as you can see on this show in in podcasters. And then we've Mm -hmm. gone unique from video as well as something we do. And then the other side of it is our whole show premise is actually like, I don't talk to people about how to record or anything like that. It's all about the business side of it. It's about how do we grow and monetize shows? Like, I think that's where the market is really missing the point.
1: Oh, 100%. And I'm a big fan of launching your podcast with an idea of how you're going to make money from it because it's very easy to launch a podcast and then be like, okay, cool. How am I going to make money from this now? Because it's actually costing me money and taking up time to run.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's funny. That was the burden. That's ultimately what stopped my um, first show is just like the expense of getting no return or no input there. So, when it comes to your launch side of things, there, you've referenced, you know, we've got our show design of niche and how we're different. Where does the monetization angle fit in then? Do you think about this at that point or how do you go about saying, well, is this going to be a market we can monetize or can't monetize?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, I guess in terms of like the step by step process, step one is pinpointing who your audience is, which we covered. I guess step two from that is then starting to grow that audience if you don't already have an email list or a social media following with those people, then you start growing that. Step 3 is figuring out like your strategy, how you're going to stand out. Then we look at, okay, how are you going to make money from it? And there really are, with with most of the people that I deal with, there's only really 3 different ways that they can make a, a viable amount of money from it. And that's to sell their own products and services, to get sponsorship or do affiliate affiliate partnerships. Now, options two and three, like they're not going to be... Unless you already have a big audience to launch with, they're probably not going to be big income sources from the start. So again, then it comes back to, okay, what products and services can I sell off the back of my podcast? And how am I going to sell those to my listeners in a way that's not not sleazy, that doesn't make them not want to listen to my podcast, but that actually still brings in revenue into my business?
0: Absolutely. And you touched on a great point there. I think For a lot of podcasters, they're scared to sell because they're scared to, I suppose, upset their audience. But I kind of think of it like this. It's like if you can actually improve and help your audience solve a problem better and more cheaply than they could themselves, like it should be your obligation to help them it should be something you actually f- focus on doing so that you can move them to that next level, help them have the results you want to give them. But it's like there's this whole, um, I don't know, I, I watch it, I can almost hear when people go to the selling part or they're pitching in their <laughs> podcast their voice changes. It's like yeah. hey, thank you for listening to this episode. Now, if you if you just don't mind can you, can you come? It's like the oh no. And
1: no. we're like Australians are particularly bad at it. I feel like Americans are much better at this and they're just like, they're very confident and they can switch like this is a big generalization but i feel like they're a lot more confident in selling things whereas australians we are very very hesitant to sell
0: agreed agreed on that point from there so that's i mean a really interesting way of thinking about monetization as well Um, it sounds like much like myself you have a huge bias towards option one there about selling your own products and services is that what you see being the most effective for yourself and i suppose the clients you work with
1: yeah, definitely. But like having said that, I do promote affiliate links, and I have done a little bit of sponsorship. They're not and not anywhere near as effective. And it's really interesting because sometimes you just you, I, like I track the links that I give out with the affiliate link, and I look at how many people have clicked through, and it's like a tiny, tiny percentage. It's maybe like one or two percent. Of my listeners who will click through
0: my finding has been much the same there I'm a big believer in like if you're a business owner who has a podcast which is everyone we tend to speak to on this show um, then option one is the path I think selling your own products and services and using your podcast as the tool as a marketing and conversion tool for your business is definitely the way to go
1: yeah I agree and a great way, like what I've managed to do to get around the having to sell on the show thing that I hate doing because I hate doing it as well. Um, that So what I do is instead of, and you mentioned this earlier, what I do instead of saying, well, hey, buy my product, I actually say, well, I grab my free cheat sheet from whatever my link to that is, and then they get onto my email list where I can sell to them without having to talk to them.
0: <laughs> so that's how we avoid the voice change there. Yeah. But <laughs> Really, really common as well. Something um, I think is really well put together these days, the combination of podcast and email marketing. It is a one-two combo. It is a left-right hook kind of set up here. And it's, um, I suppose, just confirms my suspicions that, you know, emailing and podcasting go hand in hand. You definitely want to do both if you want to be moving people from your show into paid products.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's all well and good having a social media following but nothing beats an email list
0: I absolutely agree. I've tried to resist and pretend that my uh, social following can compete with that, but it's just not the same at all. Now, Steph, we're coming to the end of our time here, and I want to thank you so much for your generosity and transparency. Like, it's been great that you've been able to get specific on things like Pinterest and, and what's working or maybe hasn't worked when it's come to your show as well. But where can people go to find more about what you do?
1: Yeah, so you can listen to my podcast at... I'm in all of the major podcast apps, Socialette, or if you want to choose which app to listen to, it's um, stefftaylor.co forward slash podcast. And my website is stefftaylor.co and I'm stefftaylor.co on all of the major social media platforms.
0: Big thank you for coming on the show. And of course, we'll make sure to put links to everything your podcast and website are all in the show notes and wherever else we publish this podcast. Podcast is, it's well and truly worth having a look at Steph Taylor's whole online setup. I think she's put together a really good mix of social presence, uh, website presence and Pinterest check out that Pinterest definitely and then the way she describes in her podcast so go and have a listen go and have a look I think you can get a lot out of just seeing how she's going about the whole podcasting uh, experience so big thank you again Steph thank you so much for coming on this show this is the end of another episode of the business of podcasting thank you for tuning in and make sure to like or subscribe wherever you're looking at this show